The following podcast is going to contain spoilers along with me, just a regular guy, talking about all the things I love, such as comics, movies, television, music, and books. So yeah, proceed at your own risk. You're listening to just another fanboy. Aren't you happy? I am. Because I'm Steven. I'm your host. How's it going? You know, when I think back, when I stretch my mind back, when I take it out for a walk, then I go backwards in time, and I think back to the days, my history of reading and collecting comics, and I think about those books that I loved that weren't originally published by the big two, my top three, they've probably got to be ElfQuest, Madman, and Akira. And I say not originally published by the big two because ElfQuest, Marvel did own the license to ElfQuest for a bit and colorized and published some of those books. They also owned the license. Well, at least they, they reprinted and published Akira. And that's how I read most of the series was through Marvel's reprints. Now, if you're not aware, Akira is a Japanese cyberpunk manga series by Katsuhiro Otomo. It was first serialized in the pages of Young Magazine from 1982 to 1990. And the way they set up the whole series, in 1992, a nuclear explosion destroys Tokyo and starts World War III. 38 years later, in 2030, a new city called Neo-Tokyo has been built on an artificial island in Tokyo Bay. And Neo-Tokyo is set to host the 32nd Olympic Games. That is the backdrop to this story. Now, when it was originally published, it was a black and white book. And as I said, it was serialized in a magazine, but it was then at some point as it was being serialized, it was being collected into what would end up being six volumes. And those were put out by Kendosha. I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing that right. They are, uh, of course, uh, I believe a Japanese company. But Marvel also started reprinting the books and putting them out as part of their Epic line. And those were... Those were made into 38 issues that were published between 1989 and 1995. And again, that's how I read them. And they colorized it. And I remember reading a whole thing about how they had to do it. Because if you're not aware, if you've never read manga or if you've picked up a, a, an authentic manga book and tried to read it and just got really confused, they're read back to front, right to left. They're read the exact opposite in the way that we read books here in America. And when they published these for the American audience, they had to, they didn't do what they do now. If you go, my daughter reads manga and she'll go into the library and she'll pick out a big stack of manga books and she'll bring them home and they'll be translated into English, but they left the formatting the same. She has to read it back to front, right to left. Whereas when they republished Akira for the American or the English audience, 
they had to go in and reformat everything so that you had so that you could read it front to back, left to right. And that wasn't the only changes that they made. A couple of them I found pretty interesting was so in the English version, as I said, it starts in 1992, or at least it states that in 1992, there's this uh, nuclear explosion. And then the story takes place 38 years later in 2030. In the original version, the Japanese version, the nuclear explosion happened in 1982, and then the rest of the story takes place in 2019. That was just last year. But they were producing this series. They started it in 82. And so that's, I guess, by the time they started publishing it for the American audience, they didn't want to... They wanted to be they wanted to be more futuristic so the the explosion happened in what would have been the future at that point which would have been 1992. So some of the main characters in this book, you've got Kaneda, he's like the main dude. He has a, a group of buddies. They're hooligans, they're juvenile delinquents. They're also part of a motorcycle gang, him and Tetsuo and Yamagata and I don't remember any of their other names, but they're 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 a group, and they they hang out at a bar, and they go and they ride their bikes, and they cause mayhem and destruction, and they take drugs, and they're just they're not good people. Another interesting fact is Kaneda, his name is actually pronounced Kaneda. The Japanese pronunciation of his name is Kaneda, but when they made the movie, because they made a movie, uh, an anime which is, it's an incredible feat of animation. And I read that they used, I can't remember the number, I want to say 51 colors never before used in an animated film when they made the Akira anime. But when they dubbed it to English for the English audience, they felt that having the main character named Canada, the American audience would find that silly because his they, they would think his name is Canada, which is our neighbor to the north. So they just changed the pronunciation to Canada. There was also a dude. So there's, okay, so you have this faction that are anti-government. The government, I guess, kind of really has a boot heel on the Japanese citizen. Very almost totalitarian type of rule. And so there's a group of rebels, anti-government uh, people that fight back and um, do, you know, they, they do terrorist acts and that kind of stuff. And one of our main characters comes from this group, Kay, and she's got a quote-unquote brother. They kind of make it sound like he's not really her brother, maybe more brother-in-arms. And his name is, I believe it's pronounced Ryu. They say Roy in the in the dubbed or at least the original I remember there there was an original dubbed version of the movie when I first went and saw the movie back in the 90s they played it at a small theater in town and I went to see it and I really enjoyed it it was nothing like the book the book like I said 38 issues six volumes over 2000 pages of comic it's epic they couldn't fit all that into one movie and so they basically kind of focused on one part of the story. But I watched it again a few years back, and the dub was completely different. It was much better. Back in the 90s, all the voices were 
kind of the same voices you would hear on most any anime and they did the just the really poor versions and would do a lot of anytime a character on the screen opened their mouth whether they were actually supposed to be emitting some kind of sound the voice actor would throw a sound in there so if a if a character is looking at somebody in surprise with their mouth wide open even though they might be screaming in silence the voice actor is going or something just really annoying and they took a lot of that out and they made it they made it uh much easier to watch, less painful. And I don't remember if they still called that dude Roy in the new in the newer version. I'll have to go back and watch it. But the whole premise of the first volume is that while they're out causing havoc, Kaneda and Tetsuo and all the other all the other fellas, they're out causing havoc. They run into this dude and he looks like a little kid, but he if a, if a kid of about eight years old had suddenly aged to about 80, but he stayed the same size, basically he looks like an old little kid. His face is wrinkly and worn. His hair is white. And he's, he's out there and Tetsuo almost runs into him and his motorcycle explodes and he ends up having to go to the hospital. And when the other members of the gang, Kaneda and the other members of the gang, catch up with Tetsuo and they're trying to help him, they see this weird-looking old kid there, and they, they start kind of giving him some grief. You know, you hurt my friend. We're going to kick your butt. We want revenge for this. You don't do that to one of my people. And this little dude starts freaking out, and, like, the wall behind him just explodes or something. And... uh the military arrives. I'm trying not to get this confused with the movie. I just read volume one, not that, just just within the last couple of weeks. And it's been years since I've seen the movie. But I can't, it's very hard for me to separate because most of the movie is about kind of this first volume. But at one point, Tetsuo goes to the hospital and we learn that this little kid is one of three. And they're all... All three of them are, are old-looking little kids, and they have some kind of psychic ability, and they they are being held by the government. They're some part of some government program, and this group of, I guess, terrorists or activists or whatever you want to call them, they freed this one, and, and whose name I, I can't remember off the top of my head, thinking that he was someone that they only know of as Akira. We don't meet Akira at all in the first book. He is a character, but he doesn't show up in the book at all. These other three, again, they're part of this program that I guess they're either, they were trying to develop people with abilities and maybe this is the after effects. They've, they, they, they can go no further and something happened in the past and now all they can do is just kind of house the last three of them and try to keep them out of trouble. But then these activists come along and free this kid thinking that he's Akira. And there's this great scene with Kaneda and this girl Kay, who is part of the, the, the activist group. And then the soldiers, and they're trying to get this kid back. And the kid's got this, this, this he, he needs to take this pill. And this pill is, is part of it. And Kaneda ends up getting the pill. And, uh, we find out that Tetsuo has these powers, whether he had them all along or his encounter with this kid 
caused them to come out. Whether or not, we don't know if his powers would have erupted at any point regardless or if being in proximity with this kid, having this association, having this close call, almost running into this kid and the kid blowing up his motorcycle, if that awakened his powers. But he ends up, he, he ends up being kind of the bad guy of the book. He has this real issue. He's like a childhood friend of Kaneda. But at some point he starts to, I guess, resent the fact that Kaneda is the leader of their group and he's jealous and he starts getting these powers. And along with these powers, he gets this massive headache and he ends up hooking up with a rival biker gang, the clowns. And he gets a lot of drugs from them, which kind of calms his headache, but doesn't really, doesn't really take it away. And Kaneda and Kay are at one point arrested and they escape from being held by the government on the site of the future Olympic Games, which is actually a secret government testing facility. And we learn that that because each each one of these three kids has a number branded into their palm. And we learn that there's another one, an, an old lady who who is Somewhere else in Neo Tokyo, she's got a number branded into her palm and she's kind of helping the resistance. And uh, it all culminates with Kaneda and Kay get out of, get escape from custody. They find out, he finds out that Tetsuo is back and that he's gone bad and that he's exhibiting these powers and he's running the clown gang and he needs to be put down because he's a danger. And Kaneda's really upset about this. And so they get all the other bike gangs in the area and they all team up and they have this big war, basically, this giant rumble with the clown gang. And they have this whole plan put together to try to take out Tetsuo because, again, you can't just take him out. He's, he's, he's super powerful now. And there's this big fight at the end. And it's not until we learn that Kaneda still has this pill that the little boy, the little psychic boy that started this whole thing was supposed to take. And it's a super powerful freaking narcotic or something. It's so powerful that it's, it's actually a capsule. And one grain from the capsule, if a normal person took it, it might just destroy their brain. But it's exactly what Tetsuo needs to finally just take away his headache completely and give him full control of his powers. And so... He's just destroying all kinds of things, and Kaneda's trying to take him out. And at one point, their their buddy, Yamagata, gets Kaneda's pistol, and he tries to take out Tetsuo, and Tetsuo just makes uh, Yamagata's head explode. It's, it is a very violent book. It's a mature book. There's a, the, the government figure that we have to deal with a lot, like the, the main government bad guy is called the Colonel, and he's a big, bald dude. And... Uh, He's trying to get Tetsuo to come back with him to the to their facilities. And it's not until after Tetsuo takes this pill that the guy's like, look, you're never gonna you're never gonna get another pill like that again unless you come with us. Where do you think that came from? What do you think withdrawal is gonna be like when you can't get another pill? If you if you need more, if you want to be able to take more of those pills to help with your head and not go through this withdrawal, you gotta come with us. And so he does, and that's kind of where the where the book ends at that point. Now I'm not a manga guy. I'm just not. I it's funny. I grew up watching stuff like Voltron and Robotech, uh, but I've never really been able to get into anime. I grew up reading Akira, but I've never really been able to get into manga. But Akira is like the perfect example 
of a master craftsman at work. This is almost a perfect book. It's gorgeous. It is, it's definitely manga. It's definitely that style of artwork, but it's not too manga, if that makes any sense. It's, it's almost like manga, but a, a bit understated. It's almost like manga with a classic feel, a classic uh, American comic book feel. Hard to explain. You'd have you'd have to see it because it's definitely manga. You can definitely see that there. It's there's there's no bones about it. But it's almost somewhat understated. It's almost toned down a bit. It's almost it's not trying to be in your face. It's not trying to be flashy. It's just it's there to tell a story, and it's just beautifully crafted artwork that sequentially just flows very naturally like i said master craftsman at work again it's 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 black and white unless you can get a hold of the the old marvel colorized versions and there's so much going on in that first volume i'm not sure how many issues you know here in here in america we uh we kind of look at comic books as issues you know, is this a six-issue trade? It, it It's thick. It's almost like a 12-issue, maybe even more trade. Every, because I just picked up volumes two, three, and four from the library, and one of them is a bit thinner than the others, so it doesn't really conform to that six to 12-issue standard that we have in America. It's just they figured out where within the entire story, where the different beats could stop, so that they could collect the trades or the the you know the publications cuz again it was originally serialized in a magazine i don't know you know we're talking i think it said uh what did i write down 82 to 1990 so 8 years being serialized in a magazine i don't know if this was a monthly magazine i don't know if this was a weekly magazine i don't know how many pages per issue that they had but I am super excited to be reading it again. See, I don't think I've read the full version of this story in 20 years. I've tried to get back into it a number of times. I used to own all six volumes. When I was in the 90s and the mid-90s, when I was working at a comic book store, uh, Dark Horse put out hardcovers of, of, of all six volumes. And they were still the black and white. And I was able to track down all six of the hardcovers. So I owned the whole series on hardback and I read it all back then. And then we went through a uh, really bad financial crisis in the household. And I ended up having to sell a bunch of stuff. And I, and that's something that I sold. Now, since then, they've had all six ish, all six volumes at my local library and I would go in and I would find, uh, okay, volume one is available, but volume two is not. So I'd check out volume one. I would take it home and I'd read it and then I'd return it. Volume two still wouldn't be available. And then maybe a month later, okay, volume two is available and I'd start reading it, but volume three is not available. And then six months would go by before I was able to get volume three. But at that point, I couldn't quite remember what would exactly what happened in volume one and two. And so I'd have to go back and reread them. And because of that, I never, I kept reading volumes one, two, and three over and over and over again. So you'd think I would have it cemented in my head, but of course my brain is kind of like a sieve and everything kind of runs through it. And I feel that this is the kind of series that 
you can't just read one volume and put it down and wait a month or two and then read the second one. You've almost just got to kind of spend the month just reading through all six volumes. You know, just binge it like a freaking show on Netflix. Because it, I know that there, I, I remember from reading it the first time, there becomes a point within the series that a huge change happens. It goes from one set of circumstances to another, just a huge change. And at that point, you might be able to say, okay, this book ended with this happening. And when you pick up the next book, the status quo is completely changed. I feel like maybe at that point, you could probably walk away between those two volumes and take a break from the series. But leading up to that, You've just got to read the whole thing through. And then after that, again, I don't quite remember because it's been forever, but I'm, I am so excited to be reading this again. And for a long time, I had been trying to, to get back into it and I couldn't get volume one from the library. I kept requesting it to be put on hold. And then I would get the email saying, okay, your book is in, come get it. And I would go get it. And it was volume four. Well, that's not volume one. So I'd put it back on the shelf and then I would go back on and, and request volume one again. And then I'd get an email. Hey, your, your book is ready to pick up. I'd go in and it'd be volume two. It's like, what's going on? After like the fourth time that that happened, I went to the front desk and I said, hey, what's up here? I keep asking for volume one and you guys keep giving me volume two or volume four. You keep giving me anything but volume one. And the guy says, well, that's kind of weird. And clinkety clink, plackety plack, he plugs it into the computer and he goes, oh, well, it seems it's that uh, volume one has never been returned. It's been away for over six months, so, you know, or however long, a year, whatever. So we have it flagged as um, stolen, basically, unavailable. And he says, so here's what you want to do. Um, get online. You're allowed to request that we purchase books. You can do three requests a year or something like that. Just go online and, and request that we purchase this book and we'll get it purchased for you. And my first thought was, shouldn't that just be something that you do? I mean, if you have the first book in a six book series and you have all six books and the first book is stolen or, or destroyed, shouldn't you just automatically reorder that rather than just ignore the fact that now you have five books on the shelf that nobody is going to read because the first book no longer exists. You no longer own it. And so I just, okay, thanks. I'll do that. But I, I never did. And in the end, I ended up buying volume one myself, thinking that slowly over the next six or seven months, I would pick up, I would slowly purchase each volume because they're really not that expensive. You know, nowadays you go to buy a freaking trade paperback that only contains six issues in it. And you're looking to pay 20 to 25 bucks. Well, again, these suckers are about 12 to 15 issues worth of material in one book, and they're about 20 bucks. That's not bad for a book that size. And so I was just going to purchase the books. And uh, after I finished reading volume one, it just happened to be the week. Once a month, we the, the, the kids and I go to the library. We just happened to be there. Went back to the graphic novels and they had two, three, and four on the shelf. So I grabbed them. I haven't, I, I started to read number two, but I didn't want to yet because I didn't want that to be in my mind when I started talking about volume one. But now I'm pumped because I can get back to volume one. But Akira, Akira was a big influence on me creatively, I feel like, because it really kind of uh, guided 
how I, you know, the, the kind of stories I look for. Because, again, there's a big event that happens partway through the series where the status quo just completely gets turned on its head. But I don't want to spoil it just in case you haven't read it and want to read it and then read it along with me and follow along as I talk to it here. But Akira, really, it's one of those I would put up there with books like The Dark Knight Returns and Watchmen. And if if anybody came to me, when any well, when anybody comes to me and says, hey, I'm looking for a new book to read, I'm looking for, for an epic storyline comic book that's not about superheroes, Akira would be my go-to. It is science fiction, but it's not superheroes. It's very fast-paced. The art is just mind-blowing, amazing. Very, it can be so detailed and yet so subtle at times as well. It's just an amazing book. And I guess the next step for me is to uh, move on to volume number two. Join me, won't you? But hey, until then, this episode's over. I'm going to wrap it up because my name is Steven and I'm just another fanboy. Be nice to each other. Just Another Fanboy is a presentation of the Stephen or Else podcast. Questions and comments can be directed to feedback at stephenorelse.com. You can support the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash stephenrorr and get instant access to the My Other Podcast podcast, a weekly show about whatever crawls its way into my tiny little mind just moments before I tap record. You can find me on the World Wide Web at stephenorelse.com or find me on Twitter and Instagram by searching for at stephenorelse. I also encourage you to subscribe to the show, leave us a five-star review, and share this episode with a friend. Just Another Fanboy is a proud member of the Comics Podcast Network. You can find that over at comicspodcasts.com. All links will be in the show notes. Good job. Ooh.